You are listening to the SCC Cast, weekly teaching and preaching from Springview Community Church. Find us on the web at www.springviewcc.org. We are located at 12881 Andersonville Road in Davisburg, Michigan. We welcome you to come as you are to experience a friendly worship setting with biblical preaching, teaching, and application. Now, here's Pastor Ben Glupker. I forgot how much I like that song. His oath, his covenant, his blood, support me in the whelming flood. That's, Jesus tells a story. You've heard it. Matthew 7. A man who hears his words, but doesn't put them into practice. It's like a man building a house on sand, and the rains come, and the winds blow, and the storm rises, and his, his house is washed away. And then there's another man who hears Jesus' words and puts them into practice, and his house is built on a rock, and the winds and the rains and the storms come, and his house stands firm. We live, it seems, in a windy and rainy and stormy time, and the, the storms and the troubles come, and they buffet it. Buffet us and they blow, and uh, if our house is built on Christ, um, all other ground, all other ground is sinking sand. How much of our struggles, how much of our trouble is trying to build our house on some other kind of ground, some other kind of land, some other place that looks in the short term more secure, but in the end will never stand. Let me read just a couple verses of our passage to you here again in Luke 2, just those four verses of Simeon's prayer, and then I'll pray and we'll get into this. Luke 2, 29. Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Father, I pray that you would shine light now for us on your word. That what it says and what it means and what you want to do with it would be clear to us. I pray that your spirit would direct and guide my thoughts and my words, that the truth of this passage would come out, that the challenge of this passage passage would press on us and move us in our spirits and hearts toward the kind of change and the kind of life you call us to. Father, we need this light. We need your help. And I pray that you would be kind and gracious to us as you've been kind just to give us this word. I pray that you would use it now in our lives, in our church, in this world for your glory and our joy. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is the fourth week in a series that I titled Magnify the Lord, Christmas in Four Words, and we've looked at joy back in Mary's song. Magnify the Lord. My uh, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And then we looked at Zechariah's song and extolling God for his salvation, the salvation that becomes because of God's mercy that God is a merciful God. It is just who He is, that there is more mercy in Christ than there is sin. 
in us. Last Sunday, we looked at the angel's song earlier in Luke 2 as they proclaimed peace. The Lord of hosts, the God of armies, has come to this earth finally in Jesus, and he comes proclaiming not war, but peace for all who will trust in him. This morning, as we consider Simeon's song, I want to think about light. Light. When we think of light at Christmas, at least in our home, we think of Christmas lights. Uh, My wife and children love to go see Christmas lights. We will drive great distances to see Christmas lights. We were out a while back, and one of our children, who I won't name, but she's nine, did not heed the pre-trip instructions to go to the bathroom first. And she, we're out driving around looking at lights, and she's, I got to go potty, I got to go potty, I got to go potty. So I'm driving fast because one's got to go potty, and um, the person sitting next to me, who I won't name, but I'm married to her, was saying, slow down, slow down, we're driving past all these lights so quickly. Christmas, we think of lights. And light is a key idea here in Simeon's song. Light is important. We returned uh, several weeks ago now. We got back from being away on vacation for 10 days. and uh, 10 days we were gone. We returned home. There's snow on the ground. It's cold outside. And I walked through the door of my house, and I hit a switch. It was almost effortless. It took no time at all. And a light came on. In fact, you can walk all over our house. We were gone 10 days. But light was just there. I walked into my house. I had been gone 10 days. It was warm. It was cold outside. It was warm in my house, even though no one had been there for 10 days. I turned a little valve on my sink, and within seconds, I had hot water. We think of light, and we think of heat. And we, they're effortless for us. They're always available. We control them. We can have light whenever we want it, and nearly as much light as we want But for most of history, light was an an elemental thing. Light was even a kind of being, right, that had to be reckoned with. It wasn't something we mastered or controlled or had at our disposal. It's something that had to be reckoned with. There was, other than building a fire, it was almost impossible to generate artificial light. Every day the sun, this great light, comes up and enters the sky, chased several hours later by darkness. And these forces, they, almost every culture considered them to be gods, deities, some kind of beings that were in this constant conflict, this constant struggle, light wrestling with darkness. And that light and darkness were often and usually associated with good and with evil. And it was the experience of almost everybody, this constant battle between light and and darkness. And light is good, and darkness is bad. You know, even the imagery of the Bible reflects this. Think about how the Bible starts. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and what was over the face of the deep? Darkness. Before creation, there was darkness, chaos, trouble. And the Spirit of God moved over the face of the waters, and on that first day, verse 3, God said, let there be what? Light. First thing. Light. Darkness is death. Darkness is trouble. Darkness is chaos. And the first thing God says, let there be light. Now, that's very actually startling in the ancient world. Because rather than the light being a God, 
The light is a created thing by God. He rules over it. He created it. It belongs to him. But darkness is constantly a threat. Think about Israel in Egypt, and God sends plagues. And you've got all these brutal plagues, right? Frogs everywhere. And the river, their water supply is turned to blood, and uh, there's boils and the cattle, all these terrible things. And then there's one that's just darkness. That's a big problem. Darkness so dark it can be felt. I don't even know what that means. But a brutal, terrorizing kind of darkness as a punishment and plague from God. When God's people leave Egypt, they build a tabernacle. Centuries later, it will become a temple. And in that temple, in virtually all temples in the ancient world, what do they have? A lampstand that's always supposed to be lit to give them light. Behind the curtain is the Shekinah glory, the presence of God, a luminous cloud of glory as God's presence is centered there. The temple itself faces always to the east. Why? So that the light of the rising sun will enter its front doors. And when we get to the end of the Bible, in Revelation 21, the heavenly city that will come down as God's kingdom comes to the earth, in Revelation 21, 23, it says, the city, that city, has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light. Its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk. The kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. The whole world is moving toward the victory of God's light. As he does away, back in Revelation 16, the, uh, the beast, he'll be cast away into utter darkness forever. Light is good. It's something to be valued and pursued. It reveals what is true and beautiful and good. And Simeon's song here celebrates light. So did Zechariah's song that we looked at two weeks ago. Look back in chapter 1 to the end of that. It's celebrating the song is the birth of John the Baptist, Zechariah's son, who will be the forerunner to the Messiah, God's king who is coming, who will be Jesus, who will be born very soon. And in verse 76 of Luke chapter 1, Look how Zechariah's song ends. He says, You, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. Now listen to what he says. Whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Zechariah is not writing about some primitive tribe on the far side of the world that knows nothing about the God of the Bible. He says, no, to give light to our feet. We need the Son of God to rise on us so that we can see, that we can be guided into the way of peace. A number of years ago, in fact, I think it was in college, I uh, went... uh, up to Camp Barakel on Labor Day with family camp. Uh, there was a family camp at Labor Day, and I went with a friend of mine from church, and we were just going to work, uh, work in the dining hall, clean up, that sort of thing, and we went out for the weekend to do this. Well, we went to chapel one night on the west side, and we came out of chapel, and we were staying on the east side. And so I said, look, we can just walk around the lake to get back there. It's about a 10-minute walk. And of course, it was night at this point. It was dark. I said, I've walked this path many times. 
So we start off the path, and as we're walking out, we come out of the door of the chapel, and we walk down past the chapel, and the lights are coming out of the windows, and we know exactly where we're going. This is a familiar path. And we get down past the, the chapel, not real far, and it's dark. A dark so dark it could be felt. It was very dark. I couldn't see anything. Uh, couldn't, no starlight, no moonlight, and we didn't go over. The path is six or eight feet wide, and we hadn't gone 50 yards and we're walking into branches, and I'm like, no, no, it's this way, I know it is, and we walk, and pretty soon we're stumbling and feeling our way. We just, you can't see anything. We couldn't follow a six-foot-wide path through the woods. It was just so dark. It was a familiar path, but we needed at least a little bit of light. Zechariah says, hey, look, we, this is God's people. They've received God's oath, his covenant, and yet... They need some light to guide their feet into the way of peace. And John, this prophet, will be the forerunner of Jesus who will bring that light. They couldn't find it on their own. Well, Simeon's song extols this light too. But it adds a startling twist. It says in verse 30, My eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. This is radical. This isn't the kind of categories Israel was thinking of. We need light for us to guide us into peace, to save us, to propel us over our enemies. And Simeon's song here says, this is a light for revelation to the nations, to the Gentiles, to all people. It's startling. It's unexpected. It's radical even. Let me ask you this, though. I just want to think about this morning. Why does Simeon receive this gift? Why does he utter these words? Why is Simeon privileged in this way? Joseph and Mary have gone up to the temple. Uh, we read back in verse 21, we didn't read it earlier, but after eight days, Jesus, according to custom, was taken to be circumcised. After another period of some 30 days, Mary needs to go back to the temple, some 30 days after giving birth, and also go through the time came, it says, here for her purification, a kind of ceremonial cleanness after giving birth to a child. And so they go to the temple, they give the prescribed offerings for all of this, and they encounter this man Simeon there. Simeon was righteous and devout. This is a godly man. And God had promised him, it tells us, in verse 26, that he would not die till he'd seen the Messiah, till he'd seen the Lord's Christ. That makes Simeon pretty unique. Think about how long Israel had been waiting for this Messiah. Think of all the people that would have longed to see him. Moses never saw God's Messiah. Joshua never saw God's Messiah. Samuel never saw. David never saw, Solomon never saw, Isaiah never saw, Daniel never saw, Jeremiah, many prophets for centuries and centuries. And then this promise comes to Simeon, you will not die until you see the Lord's Messiah. Why? Why is this promise made to Simeon? Why is this given to him, this gift to see this Messiah? Two reasons, I think, at least two. First of all, it's just grace. It's just a gift by a gracious God. 
Before Jesus could ever be a light for revelation to the Gentiles, God reveals him here to Simeon. Here's what strikes me as remarkable here. Anybody in the temple could have seen Jesus. In fact, we would assume in a busy place like that, many people did. So so here Mary and Joseph come in, carrying the Messiah, the one that's going to save God's people. And people are walking past, paying no attention. Maybe one or two stop and catch their step and make sure they don't fall. Um, One or two maybe stop and, oh, look at the baby. But people are walking by, people are all around. And right in front of them is the Lord's Christ, the Messiah, the long-awaited Savior of God's people. And they all walk by. It's remarkable, isn't it? Because you would think when the Messiah shows up, oh, we'll know. Oh, we'll know. When he shows up, everything will be different. Everything is going to change. And here he's brought into God's temple. Anybody could see him. Many people do see the child, but they don't see him for who he is. Even Jesus' parents are a little stunned. Simeon utters these words, this is the one, right? The light for revelation to the Gentiles, glory for Israel. I've seen your salvation. And it says in verse 33 that his father and mother marveled. There had to be some element for them that as as Simeon holds this child and blesses God, they have to, you wonder if they look at each other and go, our child, our kid, this, this one, this is the salvation of God's people. They've both had angelic revelations. Gabriel had come to Mary, explained what was going to happen. An angel had come to Joseph and said, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Even then, even so, it's a remarkable thing. This child is the one that is going to save us. It's remarkable. It's a gift. It's a gift of God's grace that they would see Jesus for who he is. Notice what it says repeatedly about Simeon here in chapter 2. Look in verse 25. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he'd seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. This is a man that is guided by God's Spirit, who God is graciously leading, whose eyes God is graciously by His Spirit opening. It's only by the Spirit that anyone would see Jesus for who He truly is. It's only by the Spirit that anyone would recognize Jesus as the Savior that we need. Think about the Apostle Paul many years later on the road to Damascus. Paul is not going there looking for Jesus. He's going there to punish the church of Jesus. And as you know, the story, he's on the way. And what appears to him on the road to Damascus? A bright light. And Saul is thrown to the ground and he says, Who are you? And the voice comes, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. And the light of God shines on Saul, blinds his physical eyes, He's taken into Damascus, and God sends another man, Ananias, there to pray for him that his eyes might be spiritually opened, and Paul's life is changed forever. 
Who opened his eyes? God did. God opened his eyes. An act of pure grace. God could surely have left Saul in his miserable persecution. He could have left him alienated from Jesus forever, and yet God comes to him and graciously opens his eyes. To see Jesus for who he really is is always a work of divine grace. That's really what we see. To turn over a few pages to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you're lucky enough to have a Bible with two markers, you might mark this too because we'll come back to it later. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I have three markers and I didn't mark. No, yes, I did. Look, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3. This is Paul writing. He knows what he's talking about. He's experienced it. He says in verse 3, Even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, is in their case the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of God in Christ, who is the image of God. Paul tells us here, this is, this is the enemy's strategy. To keep people from seeing the glory of God in Jesus Christ. He blinds eyes. He, he can't compete on a level playing field. Because if you see Jesus for who he really is, you will be drawn to him and you will come to him in faith and obedience and trust if you see him for who he really is. And so the enemy's strategy is don't let them see. Blind their eyes. What does God do? He has a plan too. Verse 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What God does, graciously and kindly, it's just, just like when he created the world and there was darkness over the waters and he said, let there be light and there was light. God speaks that same powerful creative word in the lives of believers and he says, let there be light. Let their eyes be open. Let them see Jesus for who he really is. It is always an act of kindness and grace by God that we would see the truth of who Jesus is. We see that here in Simeon's story. We see it, for instance, in Matthew. The magi that come traveling from far away. Why? Because they see a star that apparently other people don't see. And they travel a great distance because they want to see this child. And he's revealed to them and they worship him. Simeon receives this gift. He sees this light because God is gracious to him, which is the only way any of us will ever see the truth of who Jesus is. But I think there's another reason we should consider. He also sees it because he was looking for it. He was looking for it. Look back in Luke chapter 2 at verse 25. A man in Jerusalem named Simeon. This man was righteous and devout. And what does that mean? Well, it tells us he was righteous and devout in that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Apparently, that's what righteous and devout people do. They wait for God's salvation. Righteous and devout people don't just do lots of good things, although Simeon undoubtedly did that as well. But there were lots of Israelites who did all the good things, 
who offered the right sacrifices and said the right prayers and followed all of the rules, who never saw or never accepted Jesus for who he really was. But righteous and devout people don't just do good works. They are waiting for God's salvation in Simeon's day and in ours. The revelation of God's salvation and truth is surely a gift. But it's a gift that often seems to come to those who are looking for it. Paul received this gift when he wasn't looking for it, an act of remarkable grace. God turns his life around graciously, but often, often the people who see Jesus for who he truly is are the people who were looking for it, who were waiting for God, looking for him, wanting to see him and to know him. I want to ask a question this morning as we finish up, as we prepare to enter 2021, as we look ahead to this next year, what are you looking and waiting for? What is it in 2021 you're hoping to see? 2020 has been a hard year in many ways for most people. Our lives have been deeply disrupted. It's hurt some of us financially. It's hurt some of us in our careers. It's challenged at the very best many of us in our relationships. We're worried about the future. We're worried about our country. We're worried about all sorts of things. It's been a hard year. As we look to 2021, we're hoping for better. We're hoping for a much better year, aren't we? Well, where are we looking for that? What is it we're looking to? What would make it different? You know, if we're looking... 2021 saying, well, next year, if I can just get my financial situation or my work situation under control, then it would be a good year. Well, I hope you are able to get your financial and work situation in a better place. But that won't guarantee a good year. Or we might say, if I could just get, if I could just get my relationships back to where they were, or maybe back to where I wanted them to be even before. The people, I just, I just don't see people as much. Or uh, through the stress and trouble, a lot of relationships have been strained and are difficult. It's remarkable to me as I talk to people. I'm always curious about people and their families. And at the same time, what I increasingly see, I had a certain naivete toward this when I was a kid. Um, but the older I get, the more I see that everyone's family life is challenging. Virtually everybody's. In some families, it's a small challenge. In some families, it's a big one. In some families, it's once in a while. In some families, it's all the time. But relationships are hard. I don't think I have to explain that to you because you already know. This year's been a hard year on relationships. We hope next year, if we can just get our relational house in order, and I hope we do. I hope you do. But I'm not sure that's the answer. That's what we really need to wait for. Or maybe you look even more big picture. If we could just get our political situation sorted out. It's a mess. If we could just get that squared away. If we could just 
do away with that person or those people, if we could just make things the way I want them to be in our political situation, then it will be smooth sailing here forward. I hope that's not the main thing you're looking for in 2021 because you will almost certainly be disappointed no matter which way you want that to go. But what if we were looking for Jesus in 2021? What if he was the one we wanted to see? What if what we really wanted was the light of God to shine on Christ, to open our eyes even more to his glory and goodness and gospel? See, here's the thing. If, if you're looking for Jesus in 21, you will find him. You will find him. He's not keeping himself distant from us. He's not playing hide-and-go-seek. He's not saying if you jump through all the right hoops and follow all the right rules and get your house in order and get your act together, then, just then, maybe, maybe I'll come and show myself to you. James says, draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. If our eyes in 2021 are fixed on Jesus, we will find him. We will see him. God delights. We don't have to cajole him. We don't have to persuade him. We don't have to bribe him as though we could. Bribe God into, into making Jesus more visible, more clear, more glorious to us. God delights to do that. Paul, back in 2 Corinthians 4, He's gone through a rough year. In fact, he's gone through, in many ways, a rough life. Paul had traveled a rough road as a missionary and apostle of Christ. But he says in 2 Corinthians 4.16, we don't lose heart. We don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. What if that's what 2021 looked like for us? What if it was so bad we say our outer self is wasting away. It's brutal. But our inner self, renewed day after day, replenished this constant spring of grace and goodness from God that renews us in our soul. Paul says this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul says, look, if I, if I was fixing my eyes on what I can see, I'm going to lose heart. And look, that's what we do, isn't it? It's no surprise that we do it. It's not weird that we do it. Of course we would. We'd look at our circumstances. We'd look at how things are in society. We'd look at our bank account. We'd look at the stock market. We'd look at the quality of our relationships. we look at all the things we can see, and we start to lose heart. Paul says, ah, that's not what I look at, though. That's just not where my eyes are. He goes, I don't fix my eyes on what I can see. I fix my eyes on what is unseen. You might say, that's risky. Paul says, no, because the things that are seen are transient. They're here today, and they're gone tomorrow. But the things that are unseen... God and his glory in Christ and his kingdom that's surely coming, he says those things are eternal. And so the great battle for Paul and for us is to fix our eyes 
not in just what's in front of us and around us, but in what God is doing in the world and what is surely coming as he brings his kingdom in. I don't know what kind of year 2021 is going to be. You know, we often see people celebrating 2020 is almost done. That might be good news, but we don't know what 2021 is going to be like yet. And we can't control what it's going to be like. But you know what we can do? We can fix our eyes where they ought to be fixed. See, God is, Simeon holds up this child, right? My eyes have seen God's salvation, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, glory for God's people Israel. And if you had said to Simeon, hey, how's, how's this baby going to do that? He would have had to say, I don't know. I don't really know. I just know he's the one. But what's remarkable is any one of you could walk in there, somehow by some amazing miracle, could walk in there with what you know today and say, I'll tell you how this baby's going to do that. He's going to grow up and live the perfect life that we were all supposed to live. He's going to represent us all, God's son, God's person, who's going to live the perfect life we should have lived. And then he's going to die the death we deserve to die. He's going to be a sacrifice in our place so that we can be reconciled to God. That's what this child's going to do. Simeon could not know that. He could not understand how that was going to work. That's not what he anticipated, but you know it. See, what we're looking for in 2021 is not a series of circumstances. It's not some outcome on the Dow Jones Industrial Average. It's not some account, you know, number that you are comfortable with in your bank account. It's not some quality of relationship. What we're looking for really is a person, not a religious idea, not a religious sentiment, not a, some internal sense of religious peace, hey, I'm doing good. What we're looking for is a person, Jesus himself. I, I don't have time to read all of to you, but if we went back to Isaiah 8, you would see God's people 700 years before Simeon struggling and looking in all the wrong places. He'll cast it. He says, why do you go to the mediums? Why do you go to the necromancers? Why do you try to inquire of the dead to find out what's going to happen in the land of the living? This is terrible. He says, Isaiah says, there's, there's no dawn in you. There's no light. And what ends up happening at the end of Isaiah 8 and verse 22, he says, they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, they will be thrust into thick darkness. Here's people looking for the future, looking for what's going to happen, looking to understand what's going on with them and their country and their world. And what they get, they're looking in all the wrong places and they're cast into thick darkness. No hope, no light. But... As Isaiah 9 starts, but there will be, there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. Verse 2, because the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Down in verse 6, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. What's going to drive the darkness away? For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. See, 2021 won't be a better for you, year for you just because you decide 
I'm going to have a better year. I'm going to be a better person. I'll work harder. I'll try harder. I'll read my Bible more. I'll pray more. I'll, I'll do this. I'm just, I will be a better, no. Those are all good things, but, but the thing that our eyes need to be focused on is the child that was born. That's where we look. What we're looking for is a person. And so what we need to do is draw close to him. We referred to it recently in a message. I called it a, a kind of deep spirituality because people flourish when they're close to Jesus. Not much honor them with their lips, but with their hearts and with their lives. You know, in this coming year, we need to look to Jesus. We need to make it our aim to draw close to him, or as John says in, or Jesus says in John 15, to abide in him. We need to pray for spiritual eyes and hearts that are open and humble and soft. Jesus is not keeping us at a distance. He's not holding us at arm's length. He's always calling, always inviting, come to me, come to me. People flourish when they're close to Jesus. So we need to draw close to him. You know, one of the things that looks like for us, one of the key ways we do that is we commit ourselves afresh to God's word. That's where we see him. Think of what the psalmist says, Psalm 119, in a well-known verse. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Now, we must commit ourselves to pursuing Jesus, praying that God would open our eyes, that we'd fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, not on what is temporary, but on what is eternal, that we would see Jesus for who he is, the glory of God in the face of Christ. Listen, if that's where you look this year, you will succeed. I promise you, if you say, God, what I want most of all this year is to see Jesus more and more for who he really is, to be changed, to become more like him, God will honor that request. So I don't know if that's God's will. It's absolutely God's will. You commit yourself to seeking Jesus in 2021, you will find him. Unfailingly, you will find him. Well, let's commit to doing that together. Father, I pray you'd help us. We need this light. We need it afresh and anew. Father, you've shown this light in, in many of our hearts, maybe most of our hearts I trust before. We've seen Jesus for who he is, and we've put our trust in him, and we are grateful, and we embrace his death and resurrection on our behalf and the eternal life that brings. But Father, what I'm asking for myself and, and for every person here this morning is a renewed vision of Jesus in 2021. And we'll only have that if you graciously give it to us. Father, we know you want us to see him for who he is. We know that you've saved us for that, that you have, you've transferred us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of your beloved son so that we could delight in him and worship him in the light of truth and glory and beauty that is his. So Father, I guess what I'm really asking for is that you would work in our hearts to make us hunger and crave it. We are easily distracted. Our eyes are easily turned away to seek all sorts of other things. And Father, I just ask that you would turn our hearts relentlessly, turn our minds relentlessly back to Jesus 
that our great aim would be to see him and delight in him and worship him and follow him. Father, if you do that in us and for us this year, we will have a wonderful year. Even if we're buffeted by storms and troubles all around us on the outside, we will find ourselves renewed by you inside day after day, and it will be a good year. So I pray that you would do that in us and for us. I pray that Springview Community Church would be a church, would be a people moving earnestly and intentionally toward a deep spirituality where we flourish as we draw close to Jesus. I thank you that you love us. I thank you that you have good plans for us, that you mean to do us good and not bad. And I pray that we would look for it this year by your grace and for your glory. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you for coming. It's been good to be here with you this morning. I am looking forward to a new year. I don't know what 2021 is going to be like, but I'm looking forward to a new year. I'm looking forward to what can be for us a fresh start. God wants to do and can do, and I trust will do good things in us and through us. And as we keep our eyes fixed on him, we'll have the courage and the hope and the strength to follow him wherever he leads us. Well, let me send you out. These words from 2 Corinthians 13. This is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Well, may God be with us as we go this week. And I look forward to seeing you in 2021. Have a great week.